the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Hello, I'm Tiffany McTaggart. And I'm George Gawley. Welcome along to the Animal Health and Welfare series of podcasts, which is brought to you by the Farm Advisory Service. During 2021, we'll be bringing you eight podcasts. We want to provide you an insight into latest strategies which are being both developed and implemented with the ultimate aim of improving the welfare of our livestock. Over the course of the next year, we'll be disseminating topics such as precision livestock farming, genetics, behaviour, disease and resistance and how these challenges can be overcome to allow us to meet the challenges of the future. Hello, my name is George Gawley and welcome along to the first of our eight-part series of podcasts which is brought to you by the Farm Advisory Service. In today's podcast, we're discussing precision solutions for livestock farming. We'll be discussing some of the precision livestock farming technology, which is currently being used and developed. We'll also be discussing some of the research projects which are currently in place to help identify some of the welfare issues, which will hopefully be addressed going forward using precision livestock technology. Today, I'll be joined by three guests. My first guest today will be Dr. Claire Morgan-Davies. Claire is a livestock system scientist for SRUC and is based at the Kirkton Hill and Mountain Research Center. And more recently, the project coordinator of TechCare. My second guest today will be Dr. Fiona Kenyon from the Morden Research Institute. Fiona specializes in the management of alphamimetic resistance in sheep and has been working on developing target selected treatment as a form of precision livestock technology and has recently become the project lead on a research project known as Smart Sheep, which aims to encourage the adoption of precision livestock farming. My third guest today will be Professor Davy McCracken. Davy is the head of the, the Helen Mountain Research Centre at Kirkton, near Crane Lark, which is a platform for agricultural research and demonstration. So I'd like to just start, um, welcome along Claire. Can you hear me okay, Claire? Yes, I can hear you, George. That's great. Um, Thank you very much for joining us. Um, could I just uh, start by asking you to give me a brief description of um, yourself and what your role is? Okay. So, um, as you said, I'm a, I'm a researcher based at SRUC Hill and Mountain Research Center uh, on the research farm near Korean Larrick. Um, I've been there for nearly 20 years now and mostly working on extensive sheep production systems because our research farm is uh, is quite big so it allows us to do system work 
And recently, I've been really interested in uptake of technology by uh, sheep farming in general. Brilliant. And uh, Claire, you recently became um, a coordinator for a new project called Tech Care. Could you maybe just tell me a wee bit more about what that is? Yeah. Um, so Tech Care, it's a, it's a European project, actually, uh, funded by the Horizon 2020 research program. And um, it's uh, it's quite a big project. It's a five million research project, and we've got nine countries in the consortium, from Scandinavia to the Middle East. So we've got partner in Norway all the way to Israel. And uh, what we're trying to do in that project is trying to uh, revolutionize, in a way, the use of precision technology in sheep and goats farming system, especially for welfare management, as you were uh, mentioning earlier. So that big project is led by us at SRUC and, and by me. Um, and it's probably one of the biggest study of its kind for small ruminants. And what we're trying to do in that project is really focusing on improving management of welfare as well as performance. Um, so it started in September 2020. So we're six months in. And uh, the main aim is really to assess um, the usefulness and the relevance of different precision livestock farming approach for sheep and goat welfare management. Yeah, no, that's that, that's that's great, Claire. And and so, what what are some of the uh, priority welfare issues um, that are are commonly experienced by by sheep? What sort of uh, stuff are you are you in, interested in? So, um, I mean, it's it's a huge question, obviously, and uh, it varies from country to, to country, from system to system. But um, with my colleagues, some of the main kind of common issues that we've identified so far is things like undernutrition, heat stress. Well, not in Scotland, but for, for some of the other countries, <laughs> um, lameness, parasites, uh, risk of predation. And in some instance, and, and I think it's quite uh, relevant for Scotland, is a long distance transport to slaughter or to market. So these are some of the common issues across the consortium. But the way we've worked in that project is we've uh, looked at different systems. So we go from intensive sheep system to more extensive or very extensive. And we've got different issues according to that spectrum. And uh, we also split between um, dairy and meat production as well. So, yeah. um, and really the aim of that uh, project is using the PLF to try and mitigate some of these issues for better management and potentially creating alerts when the farmer needs to intervene, for instance. So that's in a nutshell what we're trying to do. Yeah, yeah. And um, I guess the fir first uh, first step to that, Claire, would be to um, try and identify some of the the key issues. Um, what, what's the what's the sort of process behind that? Right. Um, is, is it the case of getting a, a group of um, a group of farmers to, together or key people from the industry or how does that work? Exactly. So, because of course we know that uh, um, 
scientist knows best, but it's always better to ask the real people on the ground. So um, this project is very much centered around stakeholders, as you say, the, the farmer and uh, people along the value chain. So the, the hauliers, the abattoirs. And as you say, we, we've created these lists of welfare issues or challenges. And now the first step we're doing now is um, having workshop with industry, with farmer in each of the countries and ask them to prioritize these issues. So we know exactly that what we're going to focus on is really what the industry wants mm-hmm. and not what we want. Sure, sure. And, and it'll be quite interesting to see if um, some of the issues in um, other countries are are similar to the, the issues that we face here in the UK. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're right. So, yeah. and, and some of the countries, the system are similar, but some of the other are, are quite different. But it's always nice, as you see, to see where the commonalities are. Yeah, yeah. And and have you, have you got an idea of the the sort of tech that you think might um, come out of of this project, and 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 you know how that uh, tech might be tested going forward? Yep. So, I mean, uh, as, as, as we all know, is there is a, a huge range of technology out there and some of them are nearly ready or, or you can buy them um, on the shelf and some of the others are more prototypes. So in the project, we've got two parts in a sense. We've got one part where we're going to test and pilot some existing promising technology, for example, based on the wearable sensors or collars, for example, or even virtual fencing. And this one will be tested on demonstration farm in Scotland, Norway, France, Italy, and Israel. And if some of them are conclusive, they will be deployed on commercial farm for further testing with real farmer. And um, that will be done in Ireland, Spain, France, Romania, and Greece. But we also have some technologies that are already available. For example, um, UHF tags and reader, for example, and these one may be deployed directly on this commercial farm for testing um, in real um, situation. Um, and that will be done in year two of the project. Fantastic. And um, so so this project, it's in its early stages at the moment. So how can, um, how can farmers start to get involved with, with tech care and, and share some of their um, welfare issues. Yeah. Yeah. So as I say, we were very focused around the stakeholder and we're organizing two national workshops every year in each of the country. So our first national workshop is planned for March. So next month. Um, so if anybody um, out there is interested, they should really contact me or some of my colleagues and we put you on, on the list of invitee. Obviously, that will be done online for that first one. So um, it's probably easier to have more people joining in. But it's really so we're very keen to have people's thoughts on, on what um, we're trying to do. And um, once we've had uh, the demonstration farm in place and some of the pilot, then we will organize a workshop and discussion group as well. And people will be able to come and see what we're doing. So this demonstration farm will be at Kirkton, SRUC Research Farm, but also on the Morden uh, Research Institute farm near Edinburgh. And um, we also have now social media accounts, so on Twitter and Facebook, so farmer or people interested can follow us. We also have a regular newsletter that we started doing, 
and uh, our website uh, hopefully is going live tomorrow. So again, if people are interested, they should really uh, contact us through all these media. So, so that's if farmer wants to be involved with with take care. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, great. Great to he hear that. Um, the it's great to hear a wee bit more about the the work that that's being done to identify uh, some of these issues because um, you hear a lot about precision farming in the the arable um, sector, but mm. but it's 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 certainly not not been um adopted at quite the rate in the livestock sector yeah so. that's true uh, and also if i if i can mention um we've got two other projects um alongside um take care um and these other projects are again european projects and they are called thematic networks so it's really direct um, knowledge exchange with farmer and getting views from them. And one of them is also focused on technology in small ruminants. It's called SMART. And um, so that's the first one we, we're involved in. And the second one is called Euroship. And we're looking at health and nutrition issues for farmer. And again, these two other projects are, I think, um, very good opportunity for farmer to um, to attend and just give their views and, and discuss and, and have their um, issues and problem heard and see how we can solve that. Yeah, no, it's brilliant. And um, for the listeners, we will include some links in the in the show notes about those projects on 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 how they can get involved. Um, one of the other other um, really in, interesting um, topics at the moment, Claire. Is the the concept of vir virtual fencing, and um, you're you're currently working working at Kirkton Hill and Mountain Research Centre near Crean Lark, um, and you, you've you've got some interesting um, pl plans for for trialing um, some of this technology going forward. Could you maybe just start by giving me an overview of what virtual fencing is and and what your your uh, pl plans are at Kirkton going forward yeah yeah so um so virtual fencing is is basically a, um the animal is wearing a collar and you've got uh, invisible boundaries and when when they reach that boundaries um the collar will emit a sound so the animal knows something is coming up and then you might get uh, an electric pulse when they reach that boundary um so there are few systems out there but the one we we're quite keen to pilot or at least to to try at Kirkton for cattle this time um is something called no fence and it's been developed for goats in Norway, and it works very well for goats on rangeland. Um, and uh, the company is developing it for cattle and also for sheep. But I think cattle is a bit more advanced than for sheep in their development. So we, we were discussing with them, and uh, we're going to, to try that at Correcton. So it works with a smartphone, and um, it's with a, a GPS collar. So the, the animal's got the device. Um, and then on your smartphone, you you will write, you've got a map of your farm and you just um, set out your boundaries. And when the animal reaches the boundaries, um, then there is a warning sound and then the electric pulse, as I was mentioning. 
Um, so there are four big companies in, in the world, I think, that are working on it for cattle, but no fence is really the only one that's fully commercial yet, So, which is why we're quite keen to, to try that. Um, in the UK, there is roughly 20 pilot farms. Um, a lot of them are in Scotland. And uh, in England, they've got some of them, and they are more um, interested in the conservation side. So it might be farms that are run by conservation um, trust or something like that. Um, the collar we've got worked with the solar battery, and, and believe it or not, it does work at Kirkton despite the rain. Um, but it, it's quite good because one of the issues with this collar is, uh, is the weight of the battery and how often mm-hmm. you have to change them. So I think the, the solar... Uh, approach is a, is a good point. Um, so we were all set up to do it in October last year, but of course with the events uh, and the pandemic, we were a bit uh, um, where to stop. But the idea was to pilot the system and see if we could try uh, and keep the cattle away from the West Island Way at Kirkton and some other danger zone. Um, so we've we've, want, we've got one area set out already, and and once we um, we're back on site, uh, we will try. Um, so just as a, a little uh, um, interest, Kirkton Farm, we've got 2,200 hectares, so it's a, it's a big estate. Uh, we've got one Monroe, it's quite high mountain, and of course there is no fence. So that's why we're really keen to try that, um, that collar. Yeah. Uh, we only have 30 cows, and I think we've got 20 collars at the moment to try. So yeah. Um, and, and, uh, so that's where we're at. That's brilliant. It's it's really interesting to to hear about about that. that. And um, I guess I I just would like to ask what what are some of the potential um, welfare benefits from from using some of this technology? Um, well, I suppose by by fencing your animal, you can move it. So if you decide that you've got some area, you really don't want the animal to go in like a gorge, for example. Um, If you had to fence it in real life, it would be very costly. So in a sense, you can uh, protect your animal from danger zone more efficiently, I would say. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, um, I mean, we're we're far down that, but that's something we wanted to try is maybe look at uh, a rotational grazing as well. So maybe move the animals slightly to guide them so they know where the better grass or the better grazing is as well. So that's where we're we're looking at. Um, sure. Kind of sure. a moving fence. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I and I and I guess as as this technology develops, um, that that the, those colors might be used going forward for for heat detection or um, other um, other forms of, of health management? Yeah, yeah, potentially. And I mean, because they, they are, in a sense, a GPS collar. So once you've got the collar on the animal, you could add all the sensor. And, and that's the sorts of thing we're also investigating in, in take care is, you know, can how can you um, add some other interesting bits of technology in, in one collar? So... Sure, sure. Um, and, and just out of interest, Claire, has there been um, much work done on on this type of technology for for sheep or, or is it mainly cattle uh, that, that it's been used um, on? Well, 
uh, goats very much um, in Norway, but I don't think we've got many goats in, in the UK. Um, um, uh, one of our colleagues, one of your colleagues at SAC, um, Malcolm McDonald, he's got a, a, a Reese project with cattle farmer on the West Coast. But in terms of sheep, um, we've got colleagues in France, in the West of France, and they've tried it on ewes. They've had 20 ewes in a, in a field and uh, they, they try to move the fence and see how the animal were reacting. And so far, I mean, it's just early days. It, they just done it in October and it worked well. And um, they were finding that the animal were getting used to the system pretty well. They, they did not try to go over the boundary. And after a day, they were just staying where they, they were supposed to go. And when they swap with some more naive animal, so they, they swapped 10 different sheep uh, amongst a, a group of 20, they found that the naive one were following the one who knew where the boundary were. So mm -hmm. there is a, a bit of a learning um, a behavior there. So I think there is a lot of interesting uh, things that could be done, um, but it's still early days. So but, yeah, yeah, exciting, yeah. I suppose. No, it's really exciting. And, and, I, and I think um, you, know, you mentioned um, Malcolm Malcolm McDonald's uh, REST project. And I think, you know, one of the, uh, one of the conclusions that came out of that, that was, um, in terms of colours for sheep, it's still it's still quite expensive. But going forward, mm. um, if you were to uh, look at a farm that potentially ha had very little uh, fencing and in infrastructure in place, it might um, it might provide uh, an, al an alternative to the to the conventional fencing system. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you need yeah. to look at your farm as a whole and, and some costs are maybe offset by the other um, costs. Like fencing is, is really, really expensive um, um, cost, especially on, on extensive farm in the UK, well, in Scotland and in the UK, I suppose. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's that's great, Claire. Um, Fiona has be, been, been uh, wait, waiting patiently there in the <laughs> in the background are you still there Fiona I am hi George how are you hi I'm very well thank you um Fiona you're 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 based at the the Morden uh, Research Institute could you just start by uh telling listeners a wee bit more about who you are and uh, what your role is yeah, so that's right. So I was just counting up when Claire had mentioned she'd been at SRUC for 20 years. I thought, oh, I should check how long I've been. So yeah, I've been at the Mordon Research Institute. I, well, I've returned there. I've been there since 2006, so almost 15 years. Um, so yeah, and my main, I'm a parasitologist really by training, but my main focus is working with roundworm infections of livestock and ruminants and specifically really looking to develop sustainable and practical worm control approaches, um, especially those that can try and deal with the problem of wormer or antimantic resistance. Sure, sure. Um, and Fiona, you, you, you've also... Um, D done done quite quite a bit of work as well on the precision livestock um, farming technology, and one of those um, one of those bits of t tech is is known as targeted selected treatment. Um, for the listeners that don't know much about that, um, what exactly 
is that and and how does it work and and um yeah ju- just a bit more about that sure so targeted selective treatment is a bit of a mouthful but really it just means that when we're worming animals or worming lambs it means treating individual animals treating individual lambs rather than just treating all the lambs that are together in a group at one time and i suppose that's quite a significant change in the way of you know, dealing with um, worm in our lamb population um, compared to what we've been doing in the past, i.e. just treating the whole group at one time. But the idea behind it is that we do have this problem of wormer resistance in the UK. Um, So the drugs that we use to control the worms, the worms have actually developed resistance to them, meaning that the drugs don't work as well anymore. And the idea behind this approach is that by not treating all the animals in the group at the same time, you're leaving some animals and therefore some worms in the population that are unexposed to the wormer and therefore they can keep susceptible worms uh, within the population. And the reason that this is important is because we know that um, it's the worms that develop resistance and that resistance is a genetic phenomenon and therefore it's heritable. And what we don't want to end up in the stage is where we have resistant worms mating with resistant worms because they'll produce resistant offspring, which go on to pasture. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when the animals eat them, we're in a situation where the drugs won't work anymore. So that's kind of the theory behind it. And really what we've been doing is trying to find a method that would make use of the electronic identification tags that all animals in the UK or in Europe have to wear. And so... Um, we've developed a method to predict live weight gain in growing lambs over a short period of time. And then we can link that to their EID tags and then we can select the animals that we think need wormer on the basis of whether they've reached that weight target or not. So Mm -hmm. the animals that haven't reached that weight target, um, we would say that they're not performing well and therefore they would benefit from an antimentic treatment or a wormer treatment. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, how how important do you think this this type of work is potentially? Um, how 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 crucial do you do you, do you think this is going forward? Because I'm I'm not aware of of many of any new uh, worming tr- products coming out on onto the market. You know, is this potentially groundbreaking stuff stuff here? I mean, it's it's certainly interesting, a new way to do things. I think that you're right. We have a limited supply of drugs that are available. There's actually only five classes of drugs that are available. There are multiple products. But when you get down to the actual active drug class, there's only five separate classes that are available. And um, we were kind of spoiled, I guess, from the 1960s onwards, where we had fairly regular supplies of new actives. But that's not going to be the case anymore. So we have to find ways to slow the development of resistance. And I think this is important. I don't think these targeted selective treatments will stop the development of resistance because you're still applying you know, a pressure by in the animals that you do treat and the worms that are treated. But we know that it can slow it down. So we've done studies on this um, over a long period of time, over six years at Morden. And we know that compared to other treatment strategies, we can slow down the development of resistance. And I think that's important. If we can slow resistance down, then it extends the life of our current drugs that we have. And, and that's going to be the crucial thing, really. 
yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's really interesting. And the other, the other advantage to to this sort of te- tech is obviously the um, it's the the money saving on on product and potentially the uh, a time saving as well if it's a more automated system. Um, um, and I guess that sort of leads us on, Fiona, where, where are we in terms of this sort of, um, tech being available commercially, you know, is it, is it, is it still very much in the, in the research stage, you know, how, how, how far away are we with it? Um, that's a very good question. So, as I said, we, developed a, an algorithm with, um, we were working closely with a New Zealand scientist called Andy Greer. So developed this algorithm and then we tested it on the Mordon farm. But we also actually tested it on Claire's, the Kirkton farm with Claire. Mm-hmm. And it was Claire's uh, work that had actually shown some of the benefits in terms of reducing costs and labour um, inputs when using this approach. So Claire's system had used the EID tags, but also um, an automatic weigh crate and shedding system. So the animals could come into the the weigh crate, their EID was read and the treatment decision is made there, or, you know, if they've reached, if the animals reached the weight gain target or not. And then if they had reached their weight gain target, they were shed into one group. And if they hadn't reached their weight gain target, then they were shed into groups that needed treatment and they were put into batches of known weight batches so that we could give optimal treatments. Um, So, yes, so that was really helpful for us. It showed that the system worked on a different farm and at different conditions. And, you know, we could understand some of the the benefits and reducing of labour costs. Um, We've tested the system on a few other commercial properties and have found very similar results. But we have the problem where we have um, the limit at the moment is that the algorithm is a an, using in-house systems based at Mordon, which obviously is a bottleneck because there's a limit to the number of farms that we can work with individually and can access that. And that's really where our um, new project, the Smart Sheep project has come in because the idea behind that is it's an innovate funded project. So it's really trying to innovate what's going, what's happening in the workforce and also um, to try and take that forward to the next step. So it's a highly co- collaborative project. We are we're working with people from a range like software developers um, which is a group called so- Nighthawk Software, um, through to the hardware, which is Data Mars and the True Test system. And we're also working with a range of farm advisors who can actually allow us to develop these new tools. The software, Nighthawk Software, are going to develop the new so- tools. And then we can validate those tools on focus farms, which are kind of arranged through a range of farm and advisors. Um, and so I think that we're in the position hopefully by the end of the Smartsheet project, where we ha- will have a validated tool that has been tested on several commercial farms throughout the UK. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so come back to us in a few months' time, 12 months' time, and we can can tell you how things are going, basically. Yeah, that's fascinating. And, and uh, Fiona, how, how do you actually see it working? You know, would it be the case of the, the farmer is putting um, sheep through the the way create and, and is there with an iPad or linked to the EID um, 
tag as the sheep is getting scanned? How exactly do you do you sort of see it working on a commercial level? Yeah, so um, I think ideally we'd like it to be as simple as possible with as fewer mm-hmm. steps for users to have to do themselves. Um, as I said, we're working closely with Data Mars, who produced the the wee heads that a lot of the um, we create systems work with. And mm-hmm. we're trying to get our system integrated as closely as possible. We're also working with the farm advisory group 5Agri, and they've developed mm-hmm. a really nice platform, which um, is called AgriIgnite. And that can, the idea behind that is to kind of pull sources of farm data that's available, but all in disparate groups into one um, easy to use accessible platform for farmers. So we're also going to be able to have the TST algorithm on that platform. And the idea is that the farmers can, you know, basically press a button there and say that they'd like to be able to do TST and link it back. That'll link back to the wayhead. I think Mm -hmm. ideally we'd like it to be able to press a button on the wayhead and it would run automatically, but I'm not quite sure we've got the technology there to do that at the moment. So, um, but we can definitely have this idea of a, a system that's easy to use with minimal input required from farmers that hopefully they can just press a button and say, I want to do TST on this group of animals and yeah. protect the weight, weight gains that they need. Um, mm-hmm. And that'll link up with the way head so that they can go to the field and you know run their animals through and have those treatment decisions made easily and clearly for them to separate their animals out into those that have hit this weight gain target or not basically yeah yeah no that's that, that um that's really interesting and uh yeah um hopefully through through your project you you can you can develop that a bit further um and yeah we we'll uh, link some we we'll link link some um some uh notes in the show notes about that that as well and um, just yep, on that Fiona is there any any um opportunity for for farmers to get involved with that or um yeah i mean uh, we've we've recruited our focus farmers for this project at the moment but yeah. i'm sure there'll be things going forward but also we're hoping to have on farm demonstrations as part of the smart sheep project you know we're keen to try and disseminate our experiences and the experiences of our focus farms to as as wide a range of people as possible. So we're hoping Mm -hmm. to hold on-farm demonstrations, COVID obviously dependent, but um, so if people would be interested to come along to speak to us there, um, that would be great. And if we have, um, you know, we tend to to attend a lot of agricultural shows, again, COVID dependent if we're allowed to be, but either the Claire, I'm sure, does a few at the SRUC stand and I would be there at Mordon, you know. So you can come and speak to us or come and speak to some of our um, colleagues and, you know, the farm advisors, as I said, it's Five Agri or Synergy Farm Health or Leslie Stubbins's consultancy group and Alanco um, are also involved. So we've got quite a wide range and highly collaborative project. So hopefully you should be able to find someone to speak to um, somewhere. Claire and Fiona, thank you both so much for joining me today. And I know you have to um, rush off now, but I'd just like to thank you for uh, covering everything in such extensive detail. Now, my third guest today is Professor Davy McCracken from the SRUC 
Hill and Mountain Research Centre at Kirkton. Davey, welcome along. Could you just start by telling me a wee bit about who you are and what your role is? Thank you, George. So I'm David McCracken. Um, I head up um, SRUC's Hill and Mountain Research Centre. That's based at a 2,200 hectare um, research and demonstration farm between Korean Larrick and Tyndrum. Uh, and I'm also head of a wider department of, in, department of integrated land management within which the centre sits. That's brilliant. Um, and Davey, I guess... Um, if I was to, you're 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 involved in um you're you're involved in many things at at uh, Kirkton and uh, Claire and Fiona have already gone into some detail on um on the likes of the, the targeted selected treatment and uh, uh, some of the tri- trials you're hoping to do with uh, the virtual fencing going forward. But but one of the other really um, interesting things that's being developed at the minute and, and, and probably not something a lot of people know about is the is livestock tracking using LoRa sensors and um I guess it I I guess Kirkton is at the, the forefront of this. So um could you could you maybe tell me a wee bit more about that? Yes, no problem. So um the the issue that we have, and like many other hill farms and crofts have um, across Scotland, is that we're in a remote mountainous area. So connectivity um, is an issue, um, and that's connectivity in terms of um, being able to um, get um, signals um, to and from any sort of sensors that might be out on the farm. Um, and so a 2,200 hectare farm um, and our livestock spend most of their time away from the main farm buildings means that connectivity is a, is an issue. Um, and so um, the, the, the LoRa One, the LP1 system, um, that's what's called an Internet of Things system. And it's basically a way of creating um, a wide area radio network um, over large parts of a landscape um, within which you can then um, um, connect in different sensors, um, whether it's on an animal or whether it's in the environment, and collect data regularly from those sensors and send them back um, to a point of contact where you can then access um, that data. Um, We, two or maybe even three years ago now, created um, a a LoRa network, a radio network that covers currently about 80% um, of the farm. Uh, And we've done that from two things called gateways. And the two gateways we currently have, basically you plug them into um, a normal electrical socket um, and we've got them um, both also plugged into a sort of a Wi-Fi connection um, in in, in two buildings. Um, And each individual gateway sends out, creates a sort of a a, a radio network that can be anything from sort of five to 10 miles in radius. So it covers quite a large extent um, of of the farm itself. Um, and we um, initially created that um, that um, network because we were particularly interested in being able to actually track um, where our animals were um, on the farm, and we were particularly looking at sheep in the first instance. We were particularly interested in knowing where animals were on the farm um, and the type of collar that we were working with a, a small private company 
um, to test. The type of collar didn't just send out a location signal for where um, each individual animal was, but it also had um, a couple of things called um, accelerometers within them that could actually um, tell whether the animal was walking, whether it was lying down, etc. Um, and we were keen to use that type of system, yes, to track the livestock, but just as importantly, know if an individual was maybe lying down more um, than she, because most of our sheep are clearly um, female, than she was um, um, normally used to doing, and see if we could pick up um, in the first instance um, any early warning that there may be a, a health um, issue starting to appear in one or two of the animals and allow us to home in on where that animal was and go specifically to actually see and investigate what the issue may be. Yeah, that's really interesting. And and just for the listeners, Davy, um, Claire talked a wee bit earlier about the the um, virtual fencing collars. So so just so I get this right, um, these collars that you've been uh, putting on the sheep, these are different to the uh, collars that that Claire talked about earlier. These are yes. our sensors. Yeah. These the, 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 these are um, sensors that were um, a, a collar system that was designed for sheep, um, and uh, um, so they're different from the they're different from the virtual fencing. All they're doing is sending information away from the animal, telling um, um, us ultimately where the animal is. And what it's been doing, how it's been walking, is its gait normal or not? The sensors that um, and Claire's talking about, the virtual fencing sensors um, that we're hoping to use on cattle later this year, think of them as two-way. They can both send information that says where the animal is, but they can also receive information and process that information if we wanted to change um, um, any of the um, instructions on the collar that says... Um, uh, allow this animal to go to a different place or, or ex- expand the range at which the animal is allowed to move or reduce the range within which the animal is to move. And the, mm-hmm. the, the sheep tracking ones were, 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 were um, initially experimental. Um, it was part of an, what's called an Innovate UK um, funded project where the, um, the developer of the collar system um, was the primary recipient um, um, of, the, of the funding. We showed and highlighted that the that, that particular collar system did actually work, um, but the difficulty, um, and I'm sure we'll come back to this um, through um, the course of this interview, the difficulty was we were unable to get the price point for the collar um, down to a level that you would actually um, um, be willing to pay to put on a on a on a on a, on a relatively low value um, animal like a sheep. And yeah. that was that was the difficulty, you know. That was the, the main constraint in in rolling that out um, any further. Um, but um, we are working separately um, uh, with colleagues at New Mexico State University. They have a large project looking at tracking livestock using a variety of still LoRa enabled sensors, but different type of sensors. Mm. Um, and it's they're, they're they're tracking cattle in the sort of the the uh, the drier rangelands of the southwestern of USA. Um, mm-hmm. And 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 we are partnered with that project um, as much for us to learn lessons from how they're going about their tracking system um, as anything else. 
Yeah, that's fascinating. And was it was it purely the the movement of the animal that these sensors were were picking up, or was it, or were they detecting other things such as um, when an animal is in in heat or or you know the actual was, temperature was, of the animal it, as well? Or? It, 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 it was primarily the movement. Um, the sheep collars did have a temperature sensor um, built into them, um, but yeah. because if you can imagine, um, if you can imagine um, a woolly neck of most um, um, certainly upland hill breeds of sheep. The amount of wool around the neck meant that that temperature sensor in the collar wasn't picking up the temperature of the animal. It was picking mm. up what the ambient temperature was, the temperature in the surroundings. So that so those temperature that temperature information wasn't really um, allowing us um, to um, um, use that um, um, information for 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 anything decision making with regard to a particular animal. It was primarily yeah. location and movement um, and um, um, uh, the way these systems would work is you would ultimately um, train the you know the the, the visualization system to recognise what would be a normal stream of data coming from an animal that was living normally, walking normally, etc. Uh, and and you look to pick up anomalies. You know, uh, I think I've said earlier on, uh, the animal seems to be spending a lot more time either lying down or it's um, 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 lying down more regularly, or there's a, a that looks as if it's walking slightly different that might might indicate that it had um, um, lameness starting to develop, or even just the, you know sometimes the basic location information can prove useful as well. Um, part of one of the initial trials we'd done, um, can't remember how many animals, how many sheep it was on in the same paddock, but um, 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 say for the sake of argument, it was six sheep. I, I can't remember off the top of my head exactly how many it was. Six sheep within a, a wider group of, of, of 20 or 30 animals. Um, six sheep with collars. From five of those sheep, we were getting much the same signal, i.e. over the, the, the week or 10-day period, um, every 10 minutes when we were getting our location. It was showing much the same, much the same pattern. The animals were going um, to the part of that that part of the farm where we would expect them to. They were going to the better grazing areas during the day. They were lying up together in a more sort of um, slightly higher um, um, hummock at night. Um, but there yeah. was one of those six animals was actually behaving quite differently. It was it was spending much more of its time during the day and the night in um, the more rushy um, areas um, of that particular part of the farm. Um, and that gave us a heads up that there was something wrong with that individual. Um, she wasn't functioning as, as, a, as a, a normal member of the flock. She was obviously um, in the early stages um, of, 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 of being ill and was you know doing what most animals and certainly sheep do when they're ill. She was going and hiding herself away um, from the rest, just mm -hmm. hoping that things would, things would get better. So that allowed us to pick that up as well. Yeah, yeah, and um, just on on some of the benefits of being able to actually um, you use this data, I guess, I guess that that would allow the farmer to then um, jump into the quad bike um, with a trailer and go and pinpoint um, one of these animals, or if it was a an issue with a significant number of animals to to maybe um, go and gather gather the flock, um, would that be? Yes, I mean, um, I, 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 yeah. 
Yeah, so so two things there. Um, the, the, the members of the team that were primarily doing the work, and um, they also, um, when the individual animals, uh, sheep, um, had collars on them, they went in and, and simulated. Um, so we didn't actually go and attack them with dogs, but we got the animals um, to... Um, run around as if it maybe was a simulated dog attack, a livestock worrying incident, you know, and, and that did send a different signal back to base um, than than just the normal um, 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 either um, walking or, or, or reacting to, you know, normal things in the environment. So so that it, it, it could be something like a, a livestock worrying worrying incident that, that could be picked up as well. But yes, sure. the, 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 the key sure. benefit the key, the key benefit the key benefit is that it's giving you some information about the animal when it's out in the in, in the wider farmed landscape. So mm-hmm. uh, without any sensors like those, um, the only way we would be able to um, assess the, the health, the welfare, the condition of an of an animal is to actually bring it into the to the sheep handling pens and go through mm-hmm. it there. And, you know, a, a farm the size of ours, it can take maybe three or four days, depending on the weather, to get all the animals in. So you're, you're we're doing that regularly, but the use of the sensors allows or would allow us to actually be more confident in our own right that the animals, even though we weren't bringing them in, the animals were still um, 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 in good health and um, uh, uh, um, experiencing good welfare. Um, and if yeah. they weren't, the sensors uh, will have the have the potential to actually track that, pick that up um, a lot earlier. Sure, sure. And... Um so they, they, these collars are running off your LoRa system, and uh, Claire mentioned earlier a bit about the the no fence um, virtual fencing collars, which um, I think run off a two G um, yes. signal. Um, so, is there potential there, Davy, for the um, for those? Virtual fencing collars to be uh, to be linked up to your uh, LoRa system, where you maybe don't have a a three G signal or a two G signal. Is that possible? Uh, yep, there's, there's certainly that potential for so for for most of these LoRa networks, um, it is possible to what's called retrofit existing sensors. Um, to send information um, over the LoRa network as opposed to um, storing it on a chip or, or sending it via a, 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 a another type of connectivity mechanism. Um, mm-hmm. But for some, but for something like the virtual fencing, then um, that would be. You know, I mean, it, it's it's feasible to do it. Um, it's 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 questionable how easy it is to do it in practice. Uh, that's certainly one thing that we've found over the last two or three years is, you know, the the, the LoRa technology is 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 easy to um, 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 apply and implement in in in, mm-hmm. in, in, in in some aspects. If the the kit, if the sensors are already um, um, designed to be linked into the to the to a to a LoRa network, and um, but retrofitting is not as easy. We've we've got a we've we've got some um, mobile weather stations that we're that we're keen to deploy much much higher up the hill, and we have a UK Met station um, site 
um, um, low down um, around the farm offices, um, but we're keen to get better data from higher up the hill. We couldn't mm-hmm. get um, we couldn't get at the time we bought them. We couldn't get LoRa enabled. Um, um, connectivity for those met stations, so we've had, we've had to be sort of retrofitting them, um, and that 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 um, um, wasn't um, a, a, ultimately an easy job to actually do. So um, yeah, so so yes, yeah, so it, 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 in principle, the um, um, the virtual fencing um, could operate over over a LoRa network, but that is something we would um, be keen to. Um, investigate in, in, in more detail with the, the individual manufacturers of the collars um, rather than yeah. us um, looking to sort of tweak and twiddle around with things. Mm. I mean, it, it certainly strikes me as an area that's got great potential because there's certainly even low, lowland lying areas um, that, that you you can drop in and out of, of a phone signal. So um, there there's it's potentially um it's potentially um going to be useful um for these areas that um that that w- would maybe be shut off by uh, the uptake of this technology um, uh, yes it, it, yeah yeah no no, no definitely and all, all we would say based on our experience is um um, the LoRa uh, technology um, um, does work. Um, we would um, caution any anybody looking to use it to think carefully about what the use case act, what they call the use case actually is. Um, uh, like all um, types of connectivity, you know, um, things can drop. Um, and you can lose a signal for a wee while. Um, and so, um, Laura is great for what's what's called um, um, near real time. So you're not looking to get a continuous stream of data. You're looking mm. to get data every ten minutes or half an hour or, or whatever you set the sensor to actually send. Um, yeah. And if it's if it's sending that type of information on such a a, a such a longer timeline, then it doesn't really matter if if if, if you lose. Um, um, one or two of those signal points, you know, within the space of an hour or two hours, you can still know where the animal is, um, or you're still mm-hmm. getting the data from from the sensor coming to you. But if if, yeah. if the data stream was much more um, um, needed to be much more continuous, and it was highly important that you picked up a sudden change, then you know um, uh, the use of LoRa technology might not be the best approach in, in, in those areas because some of the signal drops, you could you could miss a, cru- a, cru- a crucial bit of information. Mm-hmm. But that, that, that's just me being overcautious. For, for, the, for, for, for the uses that we've been looking at, the LoRa technology, whether it's on the, on the livestock in terms of tracking or, or we're also using it to, to gather soil temperature information, water depth information from across the farm. We're using it to gather a wider range of environmental variables and, and finding it very effective. Yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 fascinating stuff. And uh, and uh, how, how how far away, Davy, are we from from seeing these types of um, mobile sensors being ro- rolled out commercially? What's what's the main uh, stumbling block of the minute for so for, for using this this data? 
so so for things like the tracking livestock, particularly tracking sheep, then the main stumbling block is getting the price of the sensor down to um, a, a, a price that you would pay for uh, to put on an individual to put on an individual animal, uh, or mm. not just an individual animal, lots of individual animals, because most sheep flocks are are relatively large, um, mm-hmm. and the individual value of a sheep. Um, you know, if if the cost of a sensor um, um, system is going to be twice the value of an individual sheep, then you're going to think twice about about making that sort of investment. In fact, it, it, it wouldn't necessarily make economic sense to do so. So, yeah. so in terms of the tracking collars for sheep um, or, or or other small ruminants like goats, it's 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 the price point that's going to be the going to be the constraint. Um, Certainly, um, it's 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 much easier to make that um, 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 value judgment for um, sensors on um, cattle um, in these extensive areas, and, and and that's why you know we're interested in, as Claire would have said, about virtual fencing on our our mm. cows, cows at Kirkton or our heifers at Kirkton, but also why the um, the southwestern USA project is looking at cattle ranching because you know a, a collar coming in at maybe say something like i don't know for the sake of argument you know 100 pounds 120 pounds it's um the, the high value of, of an individual cow or, or or even its offspring um means that you can make that argument um, and justify the economics of doing so and um, much much easier um yeah. but uh, but but having said that that's to do with things on livestock where you're, you're you're relying on you know data coming from the animal coming through the collar and then coming back back to actually base if you actually simplify it where you've got a sensor just sending information straight back then there's already um, um sensors available commercially on, on on the marketplace to as i said to be measuring soil temperature and moisture to be measuring um, um, water depth um as 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 each month passes and as as these type of um um, um laura um, connections become more common um, across uh, the globe there's more and more interest excuse me <coughs> In the sensor manufacturers, in, in, in developing sensors, uh, a greater range of sensors that are LoRa enabled. Um, so, yeah. other, other other than the, the tracking, the 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 sheep tracking um, collars that we had, those were we were working with a company that was looking to develop them. Every other yeah. sensor that we have on the farm, we've bought it off the shelf, plug and play, you know, from a manufacturer. Mm-hmm. So it all, mm-hmm. so they already so they already exist. Yeah, sure, sure, and uh, yeah, I guess um, when I think think of it, it it just um, it's clear how important this this technology is it, from a from a research point of view. The more data we we have on the way animals respond to certain illnesses or, or even sheep worrying as you mentioned the more um the more um commercially uh, and user friendly this this technology can become you know wouldn't it be great to have a um to you know log on to your ipad and you know have a message come up and say you know um we've got a suspected incident of uh 
of uh, a certain disease or a certain incident of uh, worrying. And I, I guess that's where, where the tech's going, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, you know, um, it, it's all about getting more data that's either currently impossible to get or very time-consuming and laborious to get um, and being able to use that data to actually inform um, um, decision-making um, um, on the farm. Um, and so, excuse me, in, 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 the, in, in that sort of instance, yes, to some extent, it, it is the research side of things that are, are helping with research and understanding what the, what the data stream is actually saying is important. Mm-hmm. But but there's but there's but there's if you think of these sensor systems as needing three interrelated type of um, um, uh, uh, systems associated with them. So so one is the sensor itself, you know, uh, uh, the collar that goes on the livestock for either tracking it or for doing the virtual fencing. The second um, essential element is being able to actually get information to and from that sensor, whether it's on the animal or in the livestock, I, what level of connectivity you've got. So as we've already said, we've been using the, 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 the LoRa connectivity, the, the, the wide area radio network to, to provide that. But with the virtual fencing um, callers we've got for cattle, we're going to be reliant on the sort of the, the 2G signal that's only available in some part of the farm. But ultimately, um, especially when you start to get lots of data coming from either lots of animals or lots of data coming from the from the one individual animal, what you need is for that data stream to come in somewhere and then be turned into something that we, you and I, can understand. So that's that's what's called the visualization process. So your the, the example you gave there of turning on your 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 iPad or your iPhone, you're not interested in seeing all the data coming in you're just interested in seeing you know what level of data is important for you yeah with regard yeah, to you that. just want a, a quick answer as yeah, it were. so I so, so you want that visualization program to be able to say data 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 here it comes here it comes here it comes oops there we go something's mm-hmm. past the threshold that's that's means we need to actually use it as an alert we need to alert the user that 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 a, that a threshold has been passed whether that's in terms of how um, often an animal is moving whether it's the temperature of an animal itself whether it's a water level in a stream if you're worried about flooding you know whatever it is the the, the key is getting that visualization right and that means taking a whole host of data streams and actually turning it into something that makes sense um, to us as, as 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 humans that can use that Sure, sure. And uh, go, going forward, then at at Kirkton Davy, are these um, are these tri- trials to continue um, going go, going forward, or uh, what was the 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 company you were working with? Um, have they um, gathered what they needed, or or what's the what's the so, next steps? So the, so, the, so, so the particular company we were working with as far as the sheep tracking technology, um, they, they've moved on to, to other things. Um, as I said earlier, they weren't able to um, collectively get the price point for that particular system mm-hmm. down, to, down to a level that it would actually work for, um, work for um, um, sheep. Um, nevertheless, um, those type of um, um, sensors, whether it's for tracking livestock or for tracking other assets on the farm, um, um, use of use of um, 
um, sensors um, um, in and around the farm landscape for getting more information on, you know, the environment on the, of the, on the farm, whether it's, you know, the temperatures dropping in, in, in a particular part of the farm quicker than we might anticipate, um, whether yeah. the soil is warming up enough in our in-by fields that it's actually worthwhile going out and applying fertiliser or not. You know, if the soil temperature is below 5, 6 degrees centigrade, then there's no point in putting any inorganic fertiliser on because it's just going to sit there. And if it's sat there, it's somewhere like Korean Larach, and with a high chance of rain coming in, then it, it would very quickly end up as a pollution incident in, in the in the neighbouring burn sort of thing. Yeah. So certainly, yeah. Um, it's, it's, sensors are one part of it, but if you step back or we step back and, and, and see the use of technology, whether it's the EID kit that um, I'm sure Fiona would have um, um, talked to you about when she was talking about the targeted selective treatment um, of, of, of worms and lambs during the during during the summer, and um, whether it's some of the um, um, the virtual fencing that um, that Claire would have talked about um, earlier, greater use of digital type technology um, um, will continue to be a major feature of what we are doing at Kirkton and Alter Tire because it comes with a if you can get it to work right, it comes with um, um, huge amounts of labour saving for, for the, um, 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 the the farmer involved. He or she spends le- will need to spend less time actively in with their animals or actively going and collecting that inf- information some other way. Um, mm-hmm. So it's labour saving but still allowing you to get information that helps with them um, on-farm management decisions. And even if that is just a in, in, in the first instance, um, it gives you information at the start of the day that suggests everything on the farm's fine. I can mm-hmm. go to my off-farm contracted job today. Um, as yeah. more and more um, people in hill farming and crofting um, are, are having to take on other um, um, other, other other jobs, other, other income generating um, opportunities, um, in addition to what they can get from the farm, then having that level of comfort that I know where my cows are, I know they're nowhere near um, the ravine I want to keep, I want the virtual fence to keep them away from, so everything, everything's going to be fine. You know, you can yeah. then move, take some time to go out and do that four or five hour job with your digger or whatever it may be, um, your, your, your additional sort of um, income generating opportunity may actually be so so no the use of um we we wrap it up in a precision livestock farming bubble the use of that um and and for collecting information that's of value from the farm management point of view but also increasingly we're looking um, and interested can we use that technology to assess we've restored probably just under 100 hectares of peatland um, um, on the farm over the last um, three, four years. Um, we're, we're keen to understand, has that actually had a real benefit from the peatland restoration process, i.e. we've capped the, the, the peatland, um, but is it starting to wet up? Is it starting to function as a, as, as a peatland? These sensors can actually help us with that. Um, yeah, managing, sure, sure. Ma- ma- managing water um, um, in the wider um, upland environment is going to become even more important in Scotland going forward to actually prevent flooding events and, and, and lower down any any catchment. We're at the head of the the Tay River catchment, so um, has the woodland that we have planted twenty odd years ago in one of our highland glens is that actually helping to hold back water? 
Um, and if so, can we monitor that via the use of sensors? So if you think of the big issues facing um, farming, but particularly hill farming and crofting, then it's, it's going to be um, not only the livestock management and knowing your livestock are safe and healthy, but also um, what are those farming systems doing to actually help um, sequester carbon in peatlands or in woodlands um, or in some of the um, um, the more organic matter rich parts of the parts of the farm? What 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 is management of the farm doing to actually manage water water quantity, not quality, water quantity coming off that farm? These are all going to be just as important questions in the immediate future for farming systems and not just an agricultural product as it was in the past. Yeah, sure. Um, I guess um, you've answered um, you, you you've answered my next question in in that probably the 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 main li- limiting factor with the up uptake of some of this technology, such as your your movement sensors, is the price um, the price commercially, and and it's not not at that viable stage at the minute. Um, how do you think that that potentially changes uh, going forward, David? Is it is it the case of you know um, some of these um, big, big sort of virtual fencing companies such as No Fence maybe uh, developing it as an add-on to their existing colours, or you know how how do you, how do you see that that sort of um, buyer being? overcome yeah. going forward so i mean um as, as as you've rightly said price is going to be a or is um a, a, a major constraint but also is one of these catch-22 type situations because another constraint is the willingness of um, um, um farmers and other land managers to take the uptake the technology in the first place mm. so it's one of these catch-22 situations if there was enough of a a market for some of this technology. In most cases, that would actually drive the drive the cost of the technology down to more yeah, affordable sure. levels. Um, but 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 until you can actually prove the value of using that technology, then it's a bit of a catch twenty two. So who who's going to um, invest in that? But also, you know, this is. Um, the use of digital technology is commonplace now in, you know, um, dairy farming systems, um, pig farming systems, arable farming systems. We do need um, an associated change in culture within hill farming systems for for more people to be willing to actually um, um, and think about it and what it can actually do um, for themselves on their on their farm and croft as well in order sure. to and then get get us into a, a a situation where more and more people are seeing a value in doing it which can actually help some of the manufacturers well it either helps individual manufacturers push the price down or what's more likely to happen is other manufacturers see the value of it and see the market for it, and you then get a bit more in, with, in the way of competition in the marketplace. And competition is always um, um, uh, useful for driving the driving the price down itself. Sure, but sure, but but, prima- but primarily for um, hill farms and crofts, it's it's beholden on. Um, Sites like Kirkton Octotai or organisations like yourself and SRUC and, and wider SAC Consulting helping um, provide some of the evidence that 
this bit of kit can be made to work in this um, more remote situation, can provide valuable information that helps with decision making, and can do all that, um, um, not just at a, an affordable price, but uh, in a way that it's easy for um, um, the farmer or crofter, um, for she or he to actually engage with the technology and understand how to use it to best effect. Um, and, you know, the the, the, the ideal is, a, is some form of sort of plug and play type system that you take it out of the box, you put it where you want it to go work. It's already working over your already existing network. And hey, presto, within three seconds, you're seeing information coming into your, your phone or your, your desktop computer or whatever. Mm-hmm. So there, there's, there's a number of, a number of things, a number of ducks that need to get into the same row in order mm-hmm. to actually make it um, um, much more commonplace um, across a, a whole farming and, and crofting type situation. And ease yeah. of use, not just cost, but ease of use and ease of understanding how best to do it, you know, is yeah. is is a, is, a, is a major factor in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, certainly speaking to... Uh, Claire earlier when she was talking about her tech care project, you know, um, it would be in- interesting to see um, what what some of the major issues identified are from um, farms across across Scotland. You know, b- both lowland farms and and yeah. um, and upland farms. Um, yeah. But, but, but also, also we have to remember as well that there's 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 always a new generation coming behind us, um, and, and and younger generations are, are are likely to be more in tune with um, and willing to um, and take on sort of new technology. So um, yeah. um, later this particular week, um, I'm speaking um, to two groups. I'm speaking to a, a group of fourth year. Um, agricultural students from drawn from across SRUC as a whole uh, who mm-hmm. are doing a precision um, farming module they're using Kirkton and Octa tire as a as a as a as a case study um, I'm going to talk to them about some of our agricultural challenges and then over the course of the next two months they're going to work in small groups suggesting other types of um, um, precision livestock um, kit or approaches that could be used on the farm. Um, yeah. And sim- similarly, the same day, I'm going to be speaking, there's a new Hill Upland and Crofting farmer-led group, uh, one of the farmer-led groups by um, by the Scottish Government, um, supported by the Scottish Government, looking to advise on future needs for that particular sector um, later um, um, as, as policy develops. Um, yeah. in both of those, so for both of those groups, I'm speaking about precision livestock farming approaches. For both of those presentations, I do a lot on social media. I've cut and pasted a, a post from a from a Welsh farmer um, um, from from last week, um, where he was very very tongue in cheek, complaining that his eight year old daughter had taken over programming um, the EID um, kit um, because he was he was far too slow at it, and she was able to you know she knew what she was doing and and can, and can do it do it a lot better. So you know if if uh, if, if an eight year old gets it and can apply things um, um, very easily, then it doesn't take much of the new generation coming through. Certainly, somebody younger than myself. Um, 
been willing and able to sort of um, um, look at that technology, grasp what it can do for them, and work out how best to actually operate it and, and, and get the benefit out from out of it from their from their own farm. Yeah, no, it's 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 been um, fascinating and encouraging uh, hearing from both uh, yourself, Fiona, and Claire um, about some of the technology that that's uh, that's coming through and being developed and uh, yeah i think it is fair to say that 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 livestock farming has been behind the curve when you compare it to um our our arable counterparts and um i think it's i think it's really encouraging to see um so much new new tech coming out and and I guess uh, not only from a, a potential welfare and cost saving going forward, but also from a, uh, you know, we've got this hu- huge net zero target um, by 2045 in, in terms of a greenhouse gas emission um, perspective. Um, how, how important, Davy, just as a wee summary, do you think that this this sort of tech could be? Um, for think, our industry, I think it will be essential um, to actually mm. help the farming industry um, a, a to understand, you know, um, um, from a livestock farming perspective, the health, the welfare of their individual animals, the performance of their individual animals. So, if you if you're if if you're a um, um, a sick animal. Um, um, you're going to not be performing at your best. You're not going to grow as quickly, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That all adds to yeah. greenhouse gas emission sort of thing. Um, so um, this sort of technology is going to help um, um, hill farmers and crofters identify um, and understand better how their um, um, their livestock, uh, their, their, their sheep flock or their herd is performing. It's going to allow them to uh, do some benchmarking, benchmarking, compare and contrast how they're performing against others. And if others are performing better, seek to learn from others how best to actually do it. All this will actually help improve um, um, the sort of cost effectiveness um, um, of um, 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 hill farming and, and crofting systems and, and help bring down, you know, the overall sort of level um, of, of, of emissions coming from the agricultural practices. Mm-hmm. But as I said earlier as well, that will only take hill farming and crofting so far down the road in terms of the scale of changes that are needed it's actually been able to sequ- not just reduce emissions, but sequester um, even more carbon um, will, will be the way that hill farming and crofting achieves that overall net zero target by 2045. And, yeah. um, and these sort of sensors and sensor systems will also be important in understanding whether planting trees there or restoring that peatland there are actually having the intended benefit um, 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 one wants from them. Yeah, no, that's that, that's that's uh, really interesting stuff, Davy. And I think we've uh, co- we've covered just about everything there. Um, have you got any any other sort of final comments to make before we wrap wrap this up, or have we covered? Um, no, I, th- just, I, 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 I think we've covered. I think we've covered um, um, the main issues or the main areas um, that I was expecting to cover. Um, um, just to say, you know, um, poultry, pig, dairy, um, arable farming, they all, um, um, t- 
took up the um, precision livestock farming banner or precision farming banner a lot quicker than hill farming um, mm-hmm. and, and crofting um, did because the manufacturers saw a bigger market um, in, in those farming systems. Um, what we've been doing at Kirkton and Tire over the last few years is just trying to highlight, well, there's just a, 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 as big a market uh, potentially across hill farming in Scotland. You know, hill farming and crofting across Scotland cover about, you know, 70% of our agricultural area. That's not a, that's not a, a, a figure to be sneezed at. Um, and, yeah. and they have a lot of potential to actually utilise um, some aspects of this technology to, to best effect. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's great, and I think you know um, if you combine everything that's that's going on, um, you know, we we talked to Claire and Fiona about the stuff that they're working on as well. I think a lot of this can be uh, applied across um, across the, the the livestock industry as a whole, uh, regardless of um, you know whether you're a hill a hill farmer or a lowland farmer. You know, I think. I think a lot of these um, principles can be developed and, and I think um, the benefits are are quite clear. Um, and, um, yeah, yeah, I, mean, um, I, yeah I, I, think the, I think the key thing I'd, I'd probably finish on, George, was um, yes, definitely agree. Um, um, these type of um, precision approaches can be, can be applied across um, any farming system, not just the, 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 the hill farming and crofting necessarily. Um, but I think the key thing to say is while any one precision approach will actually help any one system, it's highly likely that it's actually it's going to be using a combination of approaches mm-hmm. um, that will actually get the best out of it for any one individual farm or croft. But those individual approaches to use, you know, will vary from one farm to another, from sure. one croft to another, because it depends on what the individual challenges that particular farm or croft, what, what, what are the constraints they're facing. So it's, sure. it's, it's not a one-size-fits-all um um, um, solution. It's not sure. just one sensor will make or, or, or one technology will make the make make a major difference. Um, it's 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 finding the um, the combination um, that's that's right for um, um, your individual farm or your individual croft to um, 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 help you provide help provide you with the, the data that you need to actually in, make informed decisions about what you're trying to achieve on your farm or your croft. Yeah, no, I think that's a great, great point to finish on, Davey. Uh, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you to all the researchers who are taking their time to participate in this eight-part series, providing an interesting insight into their research and findings. Thank you for taking the time to listen. We hope you have enjoyed it. You can find out about all the other podcasts in the series on the Farm Advisory Service website or from your usual podcast provider, along with many other podcasts available on a whole range of topics. You can find out more about the Farm Advisory Service and the work we are doing by visiting our website on www.fas.scot or if you need advice, please call the helpline on 0300 32 301 161.